Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast, helping people get the inside scoops on life around our church. And uh, today I've got a returning guest, our Vineland worship pastor, Justin Bricks. Justin, uh, say hi to everyone. How are you doing? Hey, everyone. I'm doing great. You're doing great. You want to give us a real-time update on how you're navigating COVID these days? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I don't know for better or for worse at this point, but uh, my household has joined the COVID puppy crew. So uh, my wife and I have a, have a three-year-old. And about three to four months ago, we, we introduced a puppy. Her name is Penny into our household. Most days, I'm not sure if it feels more like we have two puppies or two toddlers, but, uh, <laughs> but we're still navigating that. And she's brought a lot of uh, energy into our house at this point. Wow. World changing. Absolutely. Um, I know for most of us these days, you know, I introduced you as Vineland worship pastor. For most of us these days, we're obviously experiencing you regardless of our location uh, in our online format. And you're actually part of our inspiration department that that produces these online experiences. Uh, how's that going these days? How's your role? How's the the whole, you know, pulling together of these online services going, give us a bit of a just behind the scenes on that uh, so that we can get to know that world a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that um, my role, I've experienced definitely some difficult aspects since COVID. Um, like I'm really wired for relationship. And so removing a significant portion of that part of my job, uh, I'm much more focused on the audio production um, doing a lot of that for online services. And so, yeah, losing that has definitely been tough. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's been really exciting. I think there's all different kinds of ways that um, this season specifically has provided us to focus on the type of community that God's calling us to be. Um, and it's been really uh, cool to see how, you know, we're forced to ask questions about, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to gather? Why is that significant? And and even even more like, what does it look like when we come back? And um, yeah, just having some of those conversations has been certainly exciting amidst what is a difficult season. Well, and it's interesting to those who are listening, you know, if, if you're listening today and through the course of COVID and then into the summer, you found yourself kind of drifting because there wasn't this regular weekly gathering to kind of tether you to the community, uh, you might be asking those same questions. And feeling like, wow, what's the role of Sunday mornings or what's my relationship with the church or, you know, what's what's the whole point of gathering in the first place or whatever. Um, I would encourage you to to allow yourself to wrestle with those questions, knowing, as Justin said, we're wrestling with them, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's giving us a, a, a certainly a season to reevaluate what kind of life and community God is inviting us into. And I just say that because. I've been in conversation, I'm sure you have as well, Justin, where people have been feeling those things, but afraid to tell me, a church leader, that they're feeling those things. And I just want to give people the green light to feel and process and ask those questions, because as leaders, we're asking those questions too. Absolutely, yeah. So anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here for, a, I think, a much more exciting conversation. And that involves, uh, we've talked about it a couple of Sundays ago, um, this this process that we've seen God do in our church, we call generational transfer. Um, and it's one of the areas that in our vision series, Vision Over Visibil- Visibility, 
uh, one of the areas that we have sensed God wants to work in our church this year in making a stronger investment of leadership development, specifically into an emerging generation of leaders. And so I want to start uh, just by getting a sense of why I'm talking to you about this. Um, from your perspective, uh, why would you be sensing that or or where in your ministry relationships or in, in relationships in our community, where are you sensing that as a, a need that, that God would have among us this year as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of potentially different reasons why this conversation is bubbling to the surface. Um, I think one of the one of the things that we're noticing a lot is just that simply as a church, we've grown older. Um, you know, the younger generations that in the past have shaped who we are have now grown. And I think as a church, we're, we're realizing that although we are a diverse community in terms of, you know, having young and old, a part of who we are as a, as a church body, um, we're not always accurately representing that and therefore benefiting from that diversity of a multi-generational church. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think that that's just, there's a lot of conversations around happening right now um, that are just kind of drawing attention to that and, um, and asking how can we do that better? At a personal level, um, I know that you bring passion to this subject. Where does that passion come from? And, you know, what is it that's amping you up in participating in this conversation? Yeah, there, there's a direct link between believing in Jesus and our desire to become more like him. And we often use the word discipleship uh, to talk about that process of devoting oneself to a teacher and slowly becoming more like them. And this is, this is the paradigm we see Jesus adopting to build the church. It's through investing in others. And, um, and so personally, that's actually the reason why I am probably still a follower of Jesus is the effect of mentors and teachers over the years that have invested time, energy, and love into me. And so um, I view it as my responsibility almost, um, not, you know, as a paid professional, but as a church, we bear that responsibility together of raising up the next generation. Um, and so, yeah, kind of benefiting from that in the past and also seeing my responsibility and in, in, in carrying that forward is, is kind of what has driven me to, uh, to just start asking questions and kind of become a student of it. And uh, full transparency, how old are you? So I am, I am 29, 29, because the other, the other thing that I was going to add here is, you know, from my perspective at 47 going on 48, you know, I see you passionate about this and I see you passionate about this with other peers of yours who are passionate about this. And I would say for me, that's what that, that that's one of the ways I'm sensing God wants to do something more substantive these days is because I'm actually seeing an emerging generation of not not would-be leaders, but existing leaders in our community that are like two decades younger than I am, mm. uh, who are are wanting to engage in this conversation as well. And I think the combination then of those two generations could have a lot of could have a lot of power. And I feel like that's what we're starting to explore in a in a more formal way this year. So absolutely, I'm yeah. excited too. Um. Knowing that you're newer to Southridge and, and didn't necessarily grow up in watching this happen, I know that you, Justin, have become a, a kind of a student of the first round of generational transfer. When 
the keys of the family business, so to speak, were being handed over to 20-somethings that included people like myself and Mike Krause and Chris Fowler, Tom Lowen and others. Um, as you've started to enter into that narrative and, and kind of understand that process a little bit for yourself these days, what have you learned so far? Yeah, I think um, in the conversations I've had um, and what I've what I've read and gathered, um, it it seems to me like there was just some incredibly humble and wise leaders um, who are acutely aware of their need for the next generation, um, and and yeah, specifically that that word humble. Like, um, just as I'm kind of soaking in the story, I'm so encouraged at the posture. Uh, that leadership uh, took in that in that transition process, um, and and that com- combined with this core group of emerging leaders who were empowered in a very public and transparent way to begin to take over leadership. Like truthfully, it it almost seems like a case study for how to do this well. Um, it, it's it's been really cool to begin to to learn and understand what worked and and kind of why it worked. I would say when you talk about that that the term public, from my observation, that was that was one of the things that was very significant about it, was the public nature, the fully transparent nature church wide, that our church family was on this process. So it wasn't a behind the scenes kind of a backroom deal, but actually a formalized, you know, public engagement where everyone could could know about it and be involved. I think that was that was certainly a, a, a significant piece. Um, from what you've read and learned though, why would why would you believe that our first round of generational transfer worked? And we'll just kind of presume it generally worked. I know it wasn't perfect, but um, let's pretend it worked. Uh, why would you say it worked? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I, I would definitely say it worked because 20 years later, here we are having this conversation. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked before about kind of the idea when there's a need of leadership and that, that meets perfectly the drive of the next generation, you know, recognizing that leadership back in the day, recognized that there was a hole that they needed to fill, um, that there was a need for a leadership transition happening simultaneously is you have this core group of leaders who had a lot of ideas about what needed to change in the church obviously recognizing that there's a there's a lot that needs to carry over but but a healthy critique of maybe some things that could be reimagined or done differently and so i think when there's that need that meets that drive that seems to be a, a real sweet spot for that transition to happen in a healthy way yeah i mean back in the day at a practical level we had a pastor looking to retire so when you know when people are hearing justin refer to need the, the need actually was very literal, very practical. We needed church leadership to emerge. And I don't think, as I understand it, that the existing leadership of the church had a whole lot of success with the typical approach of what we call search committees, just going out and finding right. people from outside the church to come in and lead it. So, you know, there was that piece. The other piece was the sense of, I think, in, in answering that need or addressing that need, the generational continuity, like the, the rather than see our kids move away and do other things, 
can they take this over? And uh, to me, as, as a recipient of that, that's what I felt was the most powerful. It wasn't just the need that the next generation or that the first generation had for us, but rather the desire that they had for us to stick around. That that mm-hmm. to me was was sort of that was that was significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your your conversations these days, I guess last question on just the basics of generational transfer here. What have you understood in your study of this to be the most critical component to effective generational transfer? Yeah, I I would just say trust, um, and, and I would say that that goes both ways. Um, you know, for identifying these two generations. Um, it's just, I, I think trust is, is such a huge piece of the puzzle and trust is something that doesn't get built overnight, right? It takes time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think to, we read in first Peter where it says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers. And we have this image of, of shepherds, which is this hard, uh, dirty job, um, paired with this role of an overseer, which would be um, seen as this like high esteem, uh, th- this highly esteemed role. And so there's a link between authority and responsibility. And I think that when there's a lack, uh, a lack of trust means handing over the, that responsibility without any authority. Um, and just as unhealthy would be handing over all the authority without any of the responsibility. And so I, I think in that transition of leadership and handing over those, those two sides of the same coin, um, really involves a trust on, on both ends. Um, cause handing them over in imbalanced ways can create all, all sorts of problems. I would agree with you. And, uh, I think it can break down on both ends, mm-hmm. right? It can break yeah. down on both ends. There's, there's, there's things that the first generation can do to restrict the process. There's things that the second generation can do to blow up the process. And so mm-hmm. it, uh, it definitely takes two to tango. Um, for me personally, I'm obviously much more curious in this era of generational transfer than just talking about what worked or how, how it worked 20 years ago. Um, so we're now in a position where people like myself who are originally second generation recipients are now the first generation of existing leaders who are responsible to do this transferring of, of leadership among generations. Um, from your perspective, Justin, today now, if you look at the now first generation of leaders, what do you see as this generation's strength to offer in this process? Mm. Yeah, I, I would, I, I would say uh, like, wisdom and experience that's been gained over the years. Um, you know, I, I even just think about, um, you know, the, the current leadership, like over the years through prayerful attention, the way God was working, this generation was actually a part of building the type of church that I even want to be involved in. Right. I mean, I think some of the conversations that we have surrounding, you know, inclusion, deconstruction, uh, justice and advocacy, like those are the, those are the types of conversations that we get to have. And, and I view that as, um, as a direct result of the faithfulness, um, over the years and faithfulness of scripture, faithfulness to, um, what God has been doing in our community. Um, and just for me as a young person to be able to become a part of that community and then learn from 
the wisdom and experience over the years of being a part of building that community. Um, I, I know I've benefited from that personally as, as a huge strength. Um, same question, but how, how do you see some of those strengths potentially becoming struggles or barriers to those of us who are first generation leaders? Yeah, well, I mean, we're a different church now than we were then. And we'll be a different church 20 years from now than we are today, right? Um, I think the issue is that um, that in the past we've been compelled to address or change in our church aren't necessarily going to be the things that we need to focus on today or in the future. Um, and so I, I think that's that's part of why we need the diversity of generations in our community is to kind of help complement one another's blind spots. Yeah, and I think to those of us who are listening, regardless of what generation you're from, that's an important point to, to appreciate is that generational transfer always moves toward the future. It always moves towards the future. It's not, it's not a process that propagates the past. And because of that, the, the eye on the future is always at some level going to be stronger in the second generation than the first. Mm. The first generation carries something. The second generation is leading into something. Mm. And uh, there, there needs to be a real deference over time to that second generation and their heart to move into the future because it's not going to be the first generation's job to lead into the future for much longer. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there is a from to transfer that happens where, you know, I've seen in some churches, pretty much in every church, there's generational transfer. The question is whether it's deliberate or whether it just happens by attrition, whether a certain generation just has to wait for another, for the existing generation to die off before it can take over or whether that transfer will happen while everyone's still alive. Right. Right. But eventually it happens. And uh, yeah, the future gets defined by the people who are going to be players in the future, not by people who are players in the past. And so that's, uh, I think a very, uh, a very critical piece. Anything else from your perspective that you feel will be challenging in this round of generational transfer with this group of first generation leaders? Oh yeah. I mean, to me, the, the obvious answer is just the complexity of who we are now versus who we were then. I mean, now we're a multi-site church of 70 staff that simultaneously runs a shelter and more, like there's so much more responsibility today than there was 20 years ago. Um, and so the, the, yeah, the, the way we navigate these conversations we're even just going to be asking different questions now than we were 20 years ago about what that transition even, even entails. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so let's dive into that then a little bit deeper. Cause I'm curious to get some second generation heart on some of this stuff. Uh, obviously one of the most critical components is the willingness of everyone to, to change for the future. You've been in touch with some second generation or you like to call it the emerging generation Mm -hmm. of leaders around here. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say people are most interested to see change in our church? Yeah, so um, I've been having a lot of really great conversations uh, over the last last little while. And um, I would just, in a big umbrella statement, I, I would say that 
um, our emerging leaders in our church are inspiringly optimistic while offering a realistic critique. Um, that feels like it sums it up really well. I would say like, just as I'm, as I'm trying to, you know, synthesize all the conversations that I'm, I'm having, like the number one thing that people say they want to see change in our church is just a greater degree of inclusion. Um, hmm. They also, uh, they, they want to see youth involved at all levels of church life and leadership. That's another big theme that's been emerging. Um, and then this, uh, probably the other main theme that I've identified, which really excites me, is people want a cross-pollination between young and old. Um, and so kind of as I'm starting to notice and, you know, reflect on these themes, it gets me excited because I feel like a lot of those things are actually um, values and conversations that we are having at a leadership level. And so it feels like there's this, this really, um, this really cool thing happening where the exciting conversations we're having as a church are actually meeting the needs and drives of the younger generation. And I'm really excited for the types of conversation that that brings. And just to be clear here, this is important. When you talk about having conversations, I know you and some peers, some teammates of yours, have have started to actually research this a little bit more. Talk about that process. Yeah, for sure. That that uh, that kind of happened um, really organically, and was just as we started having these conversations. Um, you know, I consider myself a social guy, but I'm also recognizing the limit, the limitations I have in the types of conversations I'm having are with the people that I have relationship with. And we're, we're across three locations and we're talking about a demographic that potentially starts at like, I don't know, like age 13 and goes up to like mid thirties. Like the next generation is a, is a really broad demographic. And so we started trying to figure out, okay, how do we broaden um, kind of the pool that we're drawing from? And we just created like this four question survey and just sent it out an anonymous survey and we've received, you know, a few dozen responses and it's just been really interesting to read the results. Uh, and actually when we sit down to talk about this, we actually have some data points to talk about rather than just impressions that we gain from conversation. Right. This isn't just chatter. This is actual, when we're talking about conversations. There, there is a bit of research behind this in the emerging generation of people and leaders around our church. And some of these these values, greater values of diversity, greater values of intergenerational engagement, greater values of inclusion being mm-hmm. kind of your top of list. Um, you know, these are now trends that are emerging through the data as much as they are anecdotal passions that, that people share in, in right. dialogue with one another. So, right. um, you know, one of the things that, that you said earlier was people are super optimistic about our church and about its potential for the future by be while also being realistic about critiques, mm-hmm. which is great. They love our church and know it can be better, mm-hmm. which is a great uh, kind of starting point when it comes to kind of existing dynamics of church life, how we're doing church today. Um, what, what would you say are some aspects of the church uh, of our church life these days that the emerging generation of leaders are most passionate to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I would say uh, a really common theme is is people love that we do justice work and advocacy, and and they want to see us do more of that. Um, they love the conversations that we've been having as we explore 
what a great what inclusion of LGTB, uh, LGBTQ plus communities has looked like, and they're excited to see us continue to explore what that looks like. And you know, they're excited that we're having conversations about female and um, Black Indigenous people of color, uh, empowering them in leadership. And they're excited to see us continue to explore those those things. Um, it's been so so. It's been cool uh, as in, in these conversations and collecting these data points to have affirmed the type of work that we've been doing. Um, and also just gets me really excited to say like, well, how, how does like a fresh injection of the next generation, um, you know, inject even more life and vitality into these conversations. Um, similarly, you know, there's things I'm sure that the emerging generation would like to see happen that maybe, aren't happening or certainly aren't happening nearly as much as they would like, like a generation from now, what, what do you feel will look the most different about our church from the way that it works today? Yeah. Well, I mean, to kind of pull on that same thread would be to say, we've been focusing our time and energy on what it looks like to be a more inclusive community. Um, and over time, like that's, I, I know that that's been ingrained in our DNA as a church from the beginning and as a result of that, we are more inclusive. I, I, at least I, I would hope so. And I would say that continuing that work is going to result in a more inclusive community as well. Um, but kind of out, outside of that, um, some of the other things that, that I've been hearing is a lot of people are interested in exploring, um, you know, non-traditional church gatherings. I think we have an idea of of what the Sunday gathering should be. Um and, and I think increasingly younger people um, are just more interested in saying like, well, well, what are the actual like minimum specifications of what a Sunday gathering can be? And what is the gray area that leads to a lot more experimentation? Um, probably the, the, the other thing would just be, uh, you know, the idea that the church can actually um, be a leading voice in justice work. Um, historically that hasn't been the case. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of young people are looking to see that shift happen, uh, at a church level. And we're already starting to see some of this in our current cultural moment, but, um, I, that's definitely a, a change, uh, that I think people are wanting to see. And, and, and truthfully, I, I do think that a generation from now, um, that will look different from how it does now. Hmm. Um, and in some of those aspects of doing things differently than we've done before, do you have any sense in your spirit or just in your gut anticipating what might be the hardest aspect of the church's life for the existing generation to kind of give up or to change in order to empower some of this future that the emerging generation sees and feels? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I would say I'm kind of on the on the tail end of of the emerging generation. Um, you know, I'm I'm almost thirty. I, I don't know that we've defined an actual cutoff, but I even notice in myself kind of a, you know, when it comes to something like the Sunday gathering, um, it, it feels like something that I want to protect. You know, I think there's like I, and I consider myself maybe a little forward thinking in that, in that, um, hmm. in that arena. But at the same time, I, the idea of completely non-traditional church gatherings, uh, it, it probably just gives me a little bit of an knee jerk reaction. And, 
And, and truthfully, I think in order to address uh, culture in different ways, that is something we absolutely need to explore. But uh, if I'm feeling that and I'm, you know, barely 30, I have a feeling that for the church as a whole, um, exploring some of those conversations is probably going to get messy and um, make us feel all kinds of things. I'm experiencing non-traditional church gatherings on Sunday right now, and I already don't like them. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> the odds of me liking more non-traditional church gatherings are probably low. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. And uh, I hope that this has given people a bit of a taste for the kind of conversation that we're into now, sensing that God wants to make a, a stronger investment of leadership development among us this year, especially with this emerging generation around the the, the process of generational transfer. Uh, Justin, you know from internal conversations and also what we've discussed during our vision series that we're committed to opening this door and engaging this process more formally in the coming year, particularly through this ministry launch uh, called the Leaders Village, an initiative that kind of ties together all of the leadership development stuff that we're doing for Southridge, all the leadership stuff that we're doing as Southridge for others. And all of the networks with other leadership development ministries that we have in order to do better together, those first two things, leadership mm-hmm. development for Southridge and leadership development as Southridge. Um, I, I guess what excites you most about the the formalizing of this into a leadership development ministry this year as we embark more deliberately in the generational transfer process? Yeah, I I, I'm, I am really excited about this in general and, and specifically about the formalizing of it. Um, you know, this is something that we do care deeply about. Um, and, and I feel like actually creating some sort of process or, or um, you know, yeah, just, just formalizing that actually kind of puts, puts something behind our words and, um, and, and yeah, I mean, we've had all different kinds of conversations on the types of things um, that that could include from, you know, develop, helping people develop communication and leadership skills to, you know, mentorship or, you know, um, possibly exploring what what on ramps into our other programs look like. Um, it's very much in this kind of like abstract dreaming stage. Um but we're having some really exciting uh, conversations about it. Uh, I could go on, and I know before we hit record, you said, listen, this conversation could last two hours, let alone <laughs> typically right. this conversation lasts about 20 years, and then it flips, and we start it again, and it lasts right. another 20 years. So uh, this is kind of the beginning of so, so many more exciting conversations. So as we wrap up for today, um, any final thoughts or encouragements when it comes to uh, this next round of generational transfer uh, here at Southridge? Yeah, for sure. Um, the one thing that I, I would just say, you know, in addition to all this, you know, f- I guess the formalizing talk is that you're never too young or too old to contribute meaning to this process. You know, if you're a young student and you're listening, you have the ability to invest into someone else, right? You're never too young to start that. And if you're older and you're listening, Perhaps you're maybe feeling irrelevant. You know, the data is telling us, um, know that we, and me personally, as, as a younger person, like we need your voice. We're, uh, our young people are actually desperate um, 
for the wisdom and experience that has gone before us. Um, and I think that when we're able to do that together and all own our part in that, um, we become a better representation of what the body of Christ is meant to be. That's fantastic. And certainly that would be our prayer, not just that we can pull off another round of generational transfer, but that we can be the fully orbed intergenerational body of Christ and family of God that he desires us to be. And uh, that includes everybody. So we hope that you're as excited about this as we are. And uh, Justin, thanks for being here. Thanks to all of you for uh, checking us out again this week. And we look forward to continuing to track down these exciting ways as a church community together as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.